Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. God is still on the throne, and prayer changes things. Today, Simon Turpin begins a brand new series showing how secular thought has invaded the Christian mind. Friends, make plans today to join us at one of our upcoming events. Our first event of the new year is February 16th and 17th in the Tampa Bay, Florida area. And then, Lord willing, Tri-Cities, Tennessee will be next up on March 8th and 9th. Is America in Bible Prophecy? Find out from Donald Perkins in Hudson, Florida, February 16th and 17th. The latest details on the march toward a one-world system will be revealed. Biblical mysteries will be uncovered. And you'll learn how to have true spiritual victory in the invisible war on the saints. Biblical artifacts from Israel will be on display with an archaeologist ready to answer your questions. Friday and Saturday, February 16th and 17th at Hicks Road Baptist Church. Call 1-800-652-1144 for more information or visit the events page at swrc.com. Tickets for this special event are free, but seating is limited. Don't be left behind. Register today. 1-800-652-1144. Now, here's Josh Davis. I'm privileged to be joined over the phone by author Simon Turpin. He serves the Lord with the Answers in Genesis ministry and has written a wonderful book called Adam, First and the Last. And we're going to be speaking with him about the content of this book, but also about why this subject is so crucial to our understanding. We need to stand firm against the false teachers and defend the divine creation of Adam as a true biblical history. Many theologians today are teaching that God did not create Adam, as we read in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, but instead teach that he's a myth, he's a story, he's a fable. Sadly, this teaching is bled into and influenced by the theory of evolution, and it impacts the understanding of the biblical message of creation and the fall and redemption. Simon, thank you for joining us on Watchmen on the Wall. Good to be with you, Josh. Thanks for having me. This is your first time joining us on the program, so why don't you take just a couple minutes and tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, uh, the ministry that you're involved in? Yeah, sure. Um, I work for Answers in Genesis in the UK. I've known the Ministry of Answers in Genesis for a long time, known Ken Ham for a long time. I started working for Answers in Genesis UK about nine years ago, full-time in apologetics. Before that, I worked uh, for a church here in the UK. My background is in biblical studies. I have a bachelor's and master's degree, and I, I very much see the importance of the understanding of Genesis as important for church life, as well as apologetics and evangelism in the culture. And so, yeah, for, for the last 10 years, nine years, I've been very much involved in the ministry in the UK, in apologetics, in the Lord here, and it's a very different culture to the U.S., a very secular culture where there's a lot of hostility to the gospel and to the church, but we're glad to see that through um, the proclamation of the truth of God's Word. We see um, a lot of Christians begin to start to stand on the authority of God's Word and really proclaim that gospel in the culture, which is really exciting to see. 
Just recently, our ministry launched a branch called Affirm Apologetics, led by Clayton Van Huss, and that's one of the main goals. Clayton serves as an archaeologist and uh, using that aspect of apologetics, but how do you see apologetics influencing the culture, as you said, in the UK, the role of apologetics there in that society? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, the word apologetic obviously just means, in, in biblical language, just to give a defense. So we're given a defense of the of the Christian faith. And if you go out and, to, and, and witness publicly, obviously in, in a culture like the UK, which has become increasingly secular, then a lot of people will have, obviously, skeptical questions, objections to the Christian faith, especially when it comes to the book of Genesis and how you can trust in the book of Genesis, and in people's eyes, they'll say in a scientific age, given what we know about science, and obviously when they talk about science, they're thinking of evolution, that sort of thing. And so you very much need to be able to give reasons, give answers to the questions that may come up regarding the trustworthiness of the book of Genesis, regarding things like the age of the earth, or the flood accounts, or in this context, regarding the historicity of Adam, his importance. Um, in fact, you see that really, and I deal with this in the book, um, regarding Acts 17, when Paul is in very much like a similar culture to the Western world when he's in Athens, and he's having to answer um, the Epicurean, Epicureans and Stoics. They uh, very much had a similar worldview to many in the Western world today, and Paul started from a creation foundation, began talking about God as creator, that we all come from one man, Adam. And then that leads into the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So putting that foundation in place, Josh, is, is very important, especially when you're in a culture that is opposite to what we would believe as Christians. So apologetics is really defending the Christian faith, and it really gives you a foundation to lead into the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because you don't want to do apologetics just for the sake of giving answers to people. You want to give answers defending the faith in order to lead them to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because that is the saving reality. Yes, absolutely. And as we've often said, we're not out to win an argument. We're out to win hearts and minds and souls to the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the ultimate goal of the Christian apologist. It's not to have a better argument. Of course, I believe that we do have a better argument. We have God's truth, and we're standing firm upon that. But the goal is not to win that argument. It's to see them come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. How do you see evolution bleeding into even Christians' understanding of the book of Genesis? Um, well, with regards to Adam, in the book, uh, in one of the first chapters, what I try and do, Josh, is show that over the last 10 years, you can see from a number of, of people who claim to be Christians, they've written books on the subject of Adam a lot, come from a theistic evolutionary point of view, the idea that God, over a long period of time, used the process of evolution to create the world. Um, people like Francis Collins, people like Peter Renz, uh, Joshua Swamidas, William Lane Craig, very noted apologist from mm -hmm. the U.S., um, a lot, lot of books being written on this subject. And show, what I try and do in the book is show, actually, there's been a big shift in evangelicalism towards this belief that in theistic evolution, for a long time, creation apologetics dealt with things like old earth creation. But today, the, the main arguments 
don't seem to be coming from the old earth creationists, but be coming from theistic evolutionists. So I try and lay that out in the book and show that basically undermines the narrative in Genesis. It undermines the gospel, because if you're going to deny there's a first, literal first man, Adam, who God created supernaturally from the dust of the ground, then it logically leads to the question, then why do you need a last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, to come into the world, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for sin, if there was no first historical man, Adam, who literally rebelled against God in the garden and brought death and suffering into the world? And so and that's one of the questions people need to think about when they think about the importance of Adam and the importance of creation. And why do you think that some Christian thinkers feel the need to slide towards evolution or bringing that kind of thing in? Are they trying to just acquiesce to the culture? What do you think is going on there? Yeah, I think a lot of that is probably intimidation from the culture. They don't want to be seen as foolish in a culture which, especially in the Western world, prides themselves on knowledge, prides themselves on wisdom. You know, we live in a scientific age and people think, well, if I accept the Bible, then I have to reject science, which is not true because if we know know anything about history, if you go back to the Reformation, the Reformation in theology, you know, Martin Luther, that sort of thing, um, actually led to the Reformation in science. So actually science comes out really of a Christian worldview. There's no need to be intimidated by science. We would believe in science as, as, as Christians, but I think that's probably a lot of people's worry that we, we, we look foolish in a secular culture, but we shouldn't worry about looking foolish because Paul tells us in the book of Corinthians that the message of the gospel is foolishness to an unbelieving mind. And so If you're a Christian, in some sense, you are going to look foolish anyway because of the message of the gospel, because the the mind that is hostile to Christ um, rejects that. And so I think for a lot of people, especially if you listen to people like William Lane Craig, they think it's embarrassing if you believe in six-day creation and a literal Adam and Eve. They see that as an, an embarrassment to the gospel. And so for a lot of Christians, I think that what they need to do really is, is humble themselves under the Word of God and realize that actually the Christian message will always be foolishness um, to the unbelieving mind. But the reality is that we can answer the unbelieving mind logically and consistently. So I don't think we need to worry about that. But I do think that is one of the big reasons that many Christians seem to shy away from standing on God's Word beginning in Genesis, because they think, hey, look, we don't want to look foolish to the culture. But here's the thing, people like William Lane Crane don't realize, actually, their arguments don't really convince atheists, because atheists realize, well, what you're saying is actually inconsistent with what the Bible teaches in the New Testament. For example, as I've already mentioned, if you reject Adam in Genesis chapter 2 and 3, then why would you accept the last Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he comes into the world to die on the cross? Mm-hmm. And so we need to recognize the consistency of the Christian message. Yes, that's so very true. And thank you for pointing that out. Friends, we are visiting with author Simon Turpin. He serves the Lord with the Answers in Genesis ministry. He's written a wonderful book called Adam, First and the Last. And you can pick up a copy by contacting our ministry today at one 800 652 1144. That's 1 800 652 
1144, or you can visit us online at swrc.com. Again, that's swrc.com. Simon, what are some vital doctrines that are rejected when theologians accept the view of evolution? Well, I think there are probably a, a number, but doctrines like original sin, the idea that we're sinful in Adam, is one of the big doctrines. Again, I've mentioned William Lane Craig in, in his book. And that he wrote a couple of years ago on Adam, the quest for the historical Adam. He basically argues that the doctrine of original sin is foreign to the Bible. He gives some reasons for that, and I go back and forth with that in, in the book. I have a chapter on that. But I think that's one of the big doctrines, because if you reject that doctrine, then you ultimately sort of lose the, the reason for Christ dying on the cross, coming into the world, and paying the penalty for sin. Because Paul, in Romans 5.12, quite clearly lays out you're either in Adam or you're in Christ. In Adam, you're condemned, um, you, you're sinful before God, um, you're alienated before God. But in Christ, you can be justified, you're, you're born again. It's Christ who pays the penalty for our sin. So Paul presents Humanity being in either one of two people, you're either in Adam or you're either in Christ. So Paul actually defends the doctrine of what we would call original sin in Romans 5 and in 1 Corinthians um, 15. I know that doctrine is uncomfortable for a lot of people, but it's a biblical truth. And the reason William Lane Craig, I think, doesn't, well, he doesn't like the teaching of the doctrine, but he realizes if you're going to believe in evolution, or theistic evolution, then you can't consistently believe in that doctrine because theistic evolution would teach that death has always existed in the world, physical death has always existed in the world, and therefore that's incompatible with the biblical teaching that Adam brought death into the world. And so you really end up losing that doctrine, which really affects the doctrine of the atonement as well, because why did Jesus die a physical death on the cross, if he was just paying the penalty for something that was just spiritual, obviously Jesus' death on the cross does have a spiritual impact. But the mm -hmm. reason he comes into the world, lives a real life, and dies a real physical death is because a real physical man, Adam, brought physical death into the world. And so if you begin to start to add evolution to the Bible, then you can see how it undermines and erodes key important doctrines of the Christian faith. And in the book, Adam, the First and the Last, you list several false views of Adam. Can you share some of those with us? Yeah. As I said earlier, Josh, in the book, I try and present, interact with authors that have published over the last 10 years that argue for a different view of Adam. And I, and I point out in the book that there are several different views of Adam that have been put forth by a number of different authors. Some Evangelicals try and Adam argue that basically Adam was a myth, he never existed. I would actually say that's really inconsistent with the scriptures. And a lot of those people, you may question their evangelicalism. Some say Adam was a sort of a head of a tribe. See John Collins, a famous Old Testament scholar, tries to argue that way. Others argue like that he was a, a Neolithic farmer somewhere in the ancient Near East, then God chose this one guy, Adam, out of this group of people and selected him. And then there's views like William Lane Craig's view of Adam, where he argues that 
Adam is basically Homo heidelbergensis, an ancestor, a supposed evolutionary ancestor of of humanity. But mm. if you look at Homo heidelbergensis, even evolutionary scientists recognize actually he's more human-like. And so there's a lots of problems with these different views of Adam. When you look at all these different views, they're all inconsistent with the biblical text because they all presuppose there were other people before the first man, Adam, existed. And that's the thing. Paul in the New Testament, in 1 Corinthians 15, 45, says Adam was the first man. There were no other people before Adam. That's quite clear when you read Genesis 2 and 3. So all these different views proposed by, you know, leading evangelical scholars or Old Testament theologians, they all presuppose that there was a group of people or many people living before the first man, Adam. Many of them are really inconsistent, not only with the biblical text, but a lot of them have not kept up to date with the evolution of man according to evolutionary scientists, because some are just like William Lane Craig, are very inconsistent on how they view these people. And it makes you really question the authority of Scripture and how seriously they take the account of, of Scripture, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. And, and many of them will just say, well, actually, Genesis isn't history. And that's one of the first things that they have to do is say, well, it's not history. In fact, William Lane Craig calls it mytho history. He believes that some details in a narrative should be taken literally, like the, the name Adam. Well, there was a person called Adam. But then he'll say, well, actually, the details of his creation are just symbolic. The fact that he was created from the dust is symbolic. You know, the fact that God took a, a rib from his side and created Eve, well, that's symbolic. He's not to take that literally. And so they have to dismiss the true historical character of the book of Genesis, which was accepted by the early Jewish people in the first century, by the apostles, by the Lord Jesus Christ, yes. by the church fathers. They all read Genesis um, as referring to real history, but along comes Darwin in the 1800s, um, building on the back of uniformitarian deists like Charles Lyle and James Hutton, who really pushed the idea that the world is very old and not very young, then really the view of Genesis, you'll, you'll note in the commentaries, begins to change. People start to reject the history and then begin to see it as sort of either a myth or a saga or something other than the truth that is portrayed in God's Word. Mm, that is so true, and it's interesting to me that over and over and over again, Jesus would confirm people and places and things from the Old Testament scriptures that modern critics, even within the so-called evangelical world, will deny. You know, Jesus yeah. confirmed Noah, Jesus confirmed Jonah, three days and three nights, and so many other characters like you mentioned, and we're talking specifically about Adam. And it's just interesting to see that what Jesus believed that even some within the quote-unquote evangelical Christian world today are denying. How sad that that is. Yeah, I mean, what you said is absolutely true. The, the scholarly world today rejects Adam. They reject Noah and the flood. They reject Cain and Abel, which Jesus affirmed. They reject Abraham in some sense. As you said, Jonah, the account of Sodom and Gomorrah, and the exodus from Egypt. But Jesus 
actually confirms all those things. So your choice as a Christian is to either choose what the scholars are saying or look to the Lord Jesus Christ, the creator. The Bible says that Jesus is the creator of all things and the Son of God. You either accept what he says or you're going to have to accept what these scholars are saying. And I know who I'm going to go with. Yes, and I agree with you too. I know who I'm going with as well. Friends, we're talking with author Simon Turpin about his wonderful book, Adam, First and the Last. You can pick up a copy by calling us at 1-800-652-1144 or visit us online at swrc.com. The book talks about Adam the first and Adam the last, several chapters on each one. Today, we've been mainly talking about science and the scripture and the first Adam. On tomorrow's program, we're going to come back and talk more about the last Adam. Simon, I'm looking forward to talking with you again on tomorrow's program. Yeah, thanks, Josh. We look forward to, to that episode. Are you prepared to defend the biblical account of Adam as a living man formed by God? You will be after you read Simon Turpin's book, Adam, First and the Last. In Adam, First and the Last, Simon Turpin, former director of Answers in Genesis UK, reveals why understanding Adam to have been the first man created is critical for a consistent theological understanding of the biblical message of creation, the fall, and redemption. Order in Adam, First and the Last, today, when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order on our website, swrc.com. In Adam, First and the Last, by Simon Turpin. Now, here's Pastor Larry, ready to answer an important question. Capital punishment for homosexuality has been implemented by a number of countries. The death penalty remains a legal punishment for homosexuality in several countries and regions, most of which have Sharia-based criminal laws. In some areas, first offenses have a lesser penalty, such as flogging. With the seeming acceptance of homosexuality and its rapid proliferation in many parts of the world, some professing Christians in America are claiming that the answer is to execute homosexuals, allegedly, because that's what the Bible teaches. The number of professing Christians in the United States who make this claim is growing every day. This American phenomenon has been credited with ultimately producing Uganda's harsh anti-gay laws. According to an article in The Independent published in March of 2014 titled, How Uganda Was Seduced by Anti-Gay Conservative Evangelicals, Critics of Uganda's harsh anti-gay laws blame the views of American Christian fundamentalists. They argue that it is not homosexuality that has been imported from America, but homophobia. Roger Ross Williams, director of God Loves Uganda, said, quote, The anti-homosexuality bill would never have come about without the involvement of American fundamentalist evangelicals, close quotes. One of the first to investigate links between American conservatives and the African anti-gay movement was a Zambian clergyman by the name of Kipya Kaoma. He explained that homosexuality was illegal in Uganda under existing colonial laws, but, quote, nobody was ever arrested or prosecuted based on those old laws. People turned a blind eye to it. Homosexuality was not a political issue, close quotes. 
Is there any substance to these charges? From my investigations, it seems that there is. There is a growing movement in America among some Christians to make the claim that, quote, the Bible teaches that homosexuals need to be executed, and that's supposedly the best way to deal with the issue. For example, Newsweek recently reported, quote, Pastor says solution to gay people is executions. It's in the Bible, close quotes. The report says Pastor Dylan Oz said that the solution to gay people is presented in the Bible. They should be lined up against the wall and shot in the back of the head, close quotes. Pastor Oz ministers at the Steadfast Baptist Church in Hearst, Texas. In a recent Sunday sermon focusing on the so-called biblical solution to the problem of homosexuality, Pastor Oz suggested that those who disagreed with his sermon were not real Christians because the execution of gays is what God says, according to the pastor. Tom Askell, well-known Calvinist Baptist pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Cape Coral, Florida, blasted U.S. Senator Ted Cruz when the senator said Uganda's new kill the gays law is horrific and wrong. Any law criminalizing homosexuality or imposing the death penalty for aggravated homosexuality is grotesque and an abomination. All civilized nations should join together in condemning this human rights abuse, Cruz tweeted. In response, Pastor Askell quoted the book of Leviticus, writing, If a man lies with a male as with a woman, Both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood is upon them. All Scripture is given for us, but not all Scripture is about us. Old Testament law was given to guide the principles and practices of the Old Covenant community. We must not ignore the big difference between a Jewish theocracy and the New Testament church. Today, Jesus is building his church. This group is no longer defined by political and ethnic unity and obedience to the laws of a Jewish theocracy. On the contrary, the church is a worldwide gathering of people from all nations, all ethnicities, scattered among all different political and national systems and not identified with any one of them, unified only by their spiritual connections to the head, the Lord Jesus Christ. As long as Christians keep claiming the Bible teaches that we must execute homosexuals, we will consistently misrepresent the Word of God, increase opposition to the outreach of the church, and be the architects of our own misery. The natural man is innately hostile to the message of salvation. Why feed that hostility by claiming that the Bible says when it really does not? Are you prepared to defend the biblical account of Adam as a living man formed by God? You will be after you read Simon Turpin's book, Adam, First and the Last. Order in Adam, First and the Last today when you call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or you can order on our website, swrc.com. Tomorrow, Simon Turpin will be here with part two of his discussion on Adam, first and the last. Be sure to tune in on your favorite radio station by visiting oneplace.com, by downloading our SWRC mobile app, or by simply subscribing 
to our daily Watchman on the Wall podcast. Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com.